Hi, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 3. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, first of all, welcome. We're glad you're here. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, know that it's our privilege to have you here with us this morning. But if you are new, you used to know that we've been making our way through a series on the book of James. Here at Fremont E. Free, we like to take books of the Bible and preach to them verse by verse. And the reason we do that is we want the Word of God to set the agenda. As we say regularly, and no doubt we'll say again, you have enough opinions out there. There's opinions that you can get anywhere. But what we really need is to hear from God, and we do that by opening His Word. And this morning, that means James chapter 3. Certainly, I feel the weight of this moment, even in light of some of what's taught in today's passage. Let me pray, and then we'll get to it. Uh, Father, thank you for the privilege of opening your word. I do pray that I would be faithful to teach what your word says this morning, especially in light of some of what's even mentioned in this passage regarding just the difficulty of teaching your word and what that means in terms of accountability. So, Father, I pray that I would be faithful to teach what your word says, and I pray that there would be amongst our congregation today, just ears to hear. And we pray, Lord, that you would just work in a powerful way as we think about the way we use our words. We pray that we would concentrate on your word and that it would then give us a desire to be careful with our words. So, Father, please help us this morning. We admit that we are weak. We admit that we are weary sometimes. We admit that we are easily distracted. I know I am. And so I just pray that you would help us in this moment to hear from your word loudly and clearly. Would you speak, O Lord? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in my younger years, which at this point is getting to be quite a while ago, I was a youth pastor at Trinity Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas for about five years. It was a great job and one that I truly enjoyed. And part of the reason why I enjoyed it so much is because I was blessed to be able to serve at a church that understood youth ministry was not primarily about fun and games, but instead was primarily about helping students to grow in their relationship with Christ. And so on Wednesday nights during our student ministry gatherings, I preached through books of the Bible just like we do here on Sunday mornings. And furthermore, the heartbeat of our student ministry was a discipleship program that was geared to equip students who were eager and willing to grow in their faith. In fact, looking back, that discipleship program was one of the most fruitful and enjoyable things I've ever done in ministry. So I say all that to say this. Our goal in student ministry was not to keep the circus going with activities and events. It was to help see students see the glory and surpassing beauty of knowing Jesus. Having said that, though, like most student ministries, we had our fair share of fun events. Trips to the amusement park, outings for mini-golf, go-karts, wiffle ball, pumpkin-throwing contests, bullying extravaganzas, and the like. But of all the events that we did in student ministry, it seems that there was one event that often brought out the most students from the woodwork. I'm talking about the type of event where students would show up and you'd say, oh, I haven't seen them for a long time. They would come out of the woodwork for this one particular event. And this one particular event was the annual Ultimate Frisbee rivalry game between our students at Trinity Baptist Church and the students from Paramount Baptist Church, also located in Amarillo. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ultimate Frisbee is kind of like football in that you're trying to advance the Frisbee to the other team's end zone. But unlike football, there's no tackling. You can't run with the Frisbee. You can only advance it by passing. The action is continuous. There are no huddles or plays. You just keep trying to advance the Frisbee down the field by passing. And if the Frisbee hits the ground... The other team can immediately pick it up and go the other way. It's a fun game, a great workout, an activity that our students at Trinity Baptist truly loved. I think their love for the game was part of the reason why so many students would show up for this huge rivalry against Paramount Baptist. But undoubtedly, there was another reason why the students showed up for this specific game. And it's because there was a twist to this particular game of Ultimate Frisbee. And the twist was, instead of playing with a Frisbee, we instead played with a cow tongue. Now... I have no idea how ultimate cow tongue game between the students of Trinity Baptist Church and the students of Paramount Baptist Church began. 
It was a tradition that started long before I arrived. And no doubt, it was a tradition that was quite unique. Because as you might suspect, throwing a cow tongue around makes for a much different game than throwing a frisbee. Now, you may or may not know this. I don't know that I knew this before the game started. But cow tongues are actually pretty big. The average cow tongue, at least according to my reading this week, is about 12 to 18 inches long and weighs 3 pounds. And here's the thing I also learned about a cow tongue. The more you throw it around, the more it stretches and the longer it gets. And also, the slimier it starts to feel. We usually had to buy two cow tongues per game because as the game would progress, the tongues would get bigger and bigger and slimier and slimier. Now, for the record, and I know there's some people out here saying, okay, I'm concerned about this. I'll just say this. I'm not saying it was necessarily a good idea or a sanitary idea to play Ultimate Frisbee with a cow tongue. There might be some cow tongue expert here this morning saying, you could get all kinds of diseases from this. And you know what? You might be right. I'm just telling you, this is what they did in the Texas Panhandle. And our students thought it was both disgusting and awesome at the same time. And for my part, I'll say this. There is something about jumping up in the air to catch a cow tongue and having part of that cow tongue whap you in the face that does make you feel a little bit more alive. All right? So I'll just say this. It was a fun event. And a lot, of the fact it was just tied, a lot of the fun was just tied to the fact that cow tongues are just weird. The size alone makes cow tongues strangely impressive. Cows have big tongues, and their tongues are especially big in comparison to the human tongue. As I mentioned, while the average cow tongue is about 12 to 18 inches, according to my reading this week, the average human tongue, a little over three inches. Whereas the average cow tongue weighs three pounds, the average human tongue, about two and a half ounces. Needless to say, we are not going to win any, win any tongue-sticking-out contest with cows. Our tongues are small and unimpressive compared to cows and other animals. In fact, I've seen the giraffes at the zoo. They have some long tongues too. No one would look at the human tongue and say, wow, that is so impressive. It is so big. And yet, as James points out in our passage today, while the tongue may be small in stature, in fact, he emphasizes that at multiple points. While the tongue may be small in stature, it is incredibly powerful. Because with our tongues, with the human tongue, we speak. And with that speaking, we can do great and mighty things, or we can do terrible and awful things. And this is the reality that James is reminding us of in our passage today. He reminds us that while the human tongue may be small and seemingly insignificant from a size standpoint, it is far more powerful than we know, but also potentially more dangerous than we know. And thus he pleads with us, pay attention to our tongues. Tame your tongue for the glory of God. Physically speaking, the human tongue is not all that impressive. But spiritually speaking, James would argue in this passage today, our tongue is of immeasurable value. So I said, let's get to it. James 3, 1 to 12, if you would, please stand out of the reading, out of reverence for the reading of God's word. James 3, verses 1 to 12. Staying is just a simple way to remind ourselves this. The word of God is such as do our attention. The words are on the screen here. You can follow along in your own Bibles. We can just listen as I read. Verse 1, James 3 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and of bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Now, as is often the case with James, James 3, 1 to 12 can be a little bit choppy at times. It's not always the easiest to figure out how James is bouncing from one verse to the next. But having said that, it's easy enough to see the general topic of this passage, and the topic is obviously the tongue. James implores us in this passage to recognize the power and importance of the tongue. He also warns us of the danger of our tongue and challenges us, I think implicitly, to use our tongues in a way that's consistent with our Christian faith. And given James' focus on the tongue in this passage, it only makes sense then that for us this morning, our focus would be on the same thing. More specifically, this is what I want to do this morning. I want to walk through the text here and just make four observations about the tongue from James' teaching in verses 1 to 12. And then subsequently, in light of what he teaches, I want to give you three challenges in terms of how we might think about the way we use our tongue. So four observations, then three challenges. That's the plan here. Observation number one is simply this. The tongue is incredibly powerful. The tongue is incredibly powerful. Now the passage actually starts in verse 1 with James giving a warning about those who desire to be teachers in the church. Specifically, he cautions that not many should want to be teachers as those who teach the word of God and those who instruct God's people will be judged more strictly. That verse, by the way, is one of the most sobering and at some levels terrifying for a person like me who has the privilege and responsibility of teaching the word of God week after week. The fact that there will be a greater judgment or a stricter judgment is pretty terrifying. Nevertheless, the flow of the passage here, I, I think, is not designed to be focused on this teaching element. Rather, I think verse 1 serves as a launching point to then talk about the tongue. The teaching quickly fades to the background by verse 2. The meat of the passage really begins in verse 2 because, again, I think this teaching element in verse 1 is just a launching point to talk about the tongue in general. Let's pick up the passage here in verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1 in a little bit. as something James says later, I think, ties into what he said back in verse 1. But beginning in verse 2 and through the first part of verse 5, we can make this first observation about the tongue, and that is that the tongue is powerful. Verse 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now as we've said before in our study of the book of James, James loves to use illustrations. And in verses 2 to 5, he uses two illustrations to demonstrate the power of the tongue. In verse 3, he talks about a small bit in the mouth of the horse, controlling the whole body and direction of the horse. In verse 4, he talks about a small rudder steering the large ship in whatever direction the pilot chooses. The point of both of those illustrations is that something small is setting the course or the direction for something larger. In the case of a bit, a small piece of metal is controlling the direction of a large animal, a horse. 
In the case of a rudder, a small piece of the ship is controlling the entire direction that the ship is going. As James makes clear in verse 5, the tongue is the same way. As he says it in verse 5, the tongue is small, and yet it can boast of great things. Now, boasting is typically negative in Scripture, but here I think it's meant to be neutral. And James' point in verse 5 is simply that the, po- the tongue can boast of doing great things because it does great things. Like the bit in the mouth of the horse or like the rudder on the bottom of the ship, it is setting the direction for the rest of our lives. This, by the way, is what I think James is getting at in verse 2. In verse 2, he acknowledges the difficulty of controlling the tongue, but then declares that if a person were actually able to control the tongue, they would be the type of person that could avoid sin altogether. Obviously, that's not possible, but what he's saying is simply this. The reason why the tongue is so important is because it sets the direction. And thus, if we could control the tongue, which is really hard to do, and James admits that, we would be able to exercise self-control in every other area of life. Again, the point here is simply this. The tongue is like the rudder, or it's like the bit in that it sets the direction. Now, I think this is the reality that we seriously underestimate. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter quotes from Psalm 34, which is the psalm that Jim read earlier. And in 1 Peter 3, Peter opens that quote by saying this, Whoever desires to love life and see good days. So let me say that again. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. I desire to love life. I would like to see good days. In fact, I would find it really odd if that wasn't intriguing to you also. If you said to me this morning, well, I'm not too interested in loving life. I like hating life. Or frankly, I would rather have more bad days than good days. I would be very concerned for you. Right? I think for most of us, in fact, I would go on the limb and say really all of us, we would love to love life and see good days. So Peter opening that quotation by saying, whoever desires to love life and see good days, that's something that should get our attention. Now, having said that, what would you expect Peter to say right after that? Would you expect Peter to say something like this? Whoever desires to love life and see good days should read their Bibles, or they should pray a lot, or they should give to the poor, or they should gather with the people of God, or they should do good things. I think those are the things that we might expect Peter to say, and all of them would be fine for Peter to say. But here's what he actually says, and at this point, I'm just going to quote directly from 1 Peter 3.10. He says this, whoever desires to love life and see good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now that's interesting, isn't it? According to Peter, who's quoting from the Psalms, ultimately being led by the Holy Spirit, if you desire to love life and see good days, you should start by paying careful attention to your tongue. You should start by looking at the words that you use. Now Peter does go on in that same passage to talk about the importance of turning away from evil and doing good, seeking peace and pursuing it. But if you desire to love life and see good days, Peter's first ingredient in the recipe is to use your tongue wisely and carefully for the glory of God. And I suspect the reason why Peter says it that way is because of the same thing that James is talking about in our passage today. The tongue is small, but it sets the general direction of our life. Think about it this way. Who are the wisest and most godly people that you know? I'm not asking that theoretically, by the way. I'm asking you to think in your head, who are the wisest and most godly people you know? So whoever it is that you have in mind, my follow-up question about that person would, would be this. Does the person that you're thinking of control their tongues and use their tongues wisely? I can almost guarantee you the answer is yes. And in fact, I would say this. If the answer is no, that they don't control their tongues, I would suggest that perhaps your definition of godliness is skewed. Because in general, 
Godly people will control their tongues because the tongue sets the direction. When I think of godly people I respect most, one of the first, people, one of the first persons that comes to my mind is a dear brother and friend in Christ named Che On. I've talked about Che before. He was one of our elders at our church in New York. And of all the people that I know, Che is one that I respect the most. And in my time around him, one of the things I respected most about him is that he was always very judicious and gracious in his speech. Even when we as elders were dealing with hard situations and difficult people, he consistently avoided gossip and slander and always spoke with love. He controlled his tongue. Not surprisingly, he was self-controlled in other areas of life too. I don't think this is an accident. In fact, I think this is what James is getting at. The tongue is like the rudder, setting the direction for the rest of our lives. If you can control the tongue, then most likely your ship will be headed in the right direction. So this is observation number one. The tongue is incredibly powerful. It sets the direction for our lives. Observation number two, the tongue, though, can also be incredibly destructive. It's true, the tongue has great power to set a gentle direction for the way in which we want to live. But it's also true that the tongue holds great power for destruction, which is a point that James makes very clearly with yet another illustration in verses 5 and 6. All right, so the latter half of verse 5, and then into verse 6, we see this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. As I'm sure many of you have heard or read, this has been a record-setting wildfire season in Canada. As of late last week, it's estimated that around 20 million acres of land have burned across Canada this year. And obviously, in the United States, we've seen some evidence of that with all of the smoke. And although there have been multiple wildfires started by multiple different sources, all of them have one thing in common. They started with a smaller fire, and then they became larger. Whether it be lightning or human error, big fires always start with some type, of smart, some type of spark that then morphs into a much bigger problem. In many cases, wildfires have started with something as small as a cigarette butt. But as James points out, the tongue works in the same way. The tongue is a very small organ, but it has the power to cause untold destruction. How many marriages have fallen apart because of harsh and unkind words? How many parent-child relationships have soured because one or both of the parties has been unable to control their tongue? How many churches have fractured because of gossip and slander? How many business partnerships have dissolved because of words spoken in anger? How many countries have gone to war because of arrogant and prideful words that never needed to be said? Or maybe to put it in the framework of our modern technological world, now that we have more freedom and ability to use our tongue, or to express our opinions via social media, my question would be this, are we better off or worse off than before we had social media? Is there more civility and more unity because we're using our tongues more? Or is there less civility and more division, more unkindness? Now, I don't know how you would answer that question, but for me the answer is pretty obvious. The more we speak, the more division there is. And I would propose the reason why that's the case is because we often use our words to destroy and tear down. We drop a little spark into the forest of social media and then sit back and watch as the forest burns. Our words can bring great destruction. And oftentimes that destruction lingers for a really long time. A couple of weeks ago I was listening to some sports talk radio shows I was driving home. 
Now, I know this won't surprise you if you've ever listened to Sports Talk Radio, but usually it's not the source of great insight or philosophical discussion. In Nebraska, it's usually a conversation about the upcoming football season or some recruit that's on the way. But on this particular day, on a national sports talk radio show, one of the guys was talking about a memory that he had of his dad. 30 or 40 years ago, we're talking decades and decades ago, this particular guy had been in a baseball game when he was playing Little League as a kid. And he did something in the game that was good, but he remembers when he got home that his dad said something harsh to him. And in reflecting on that moment, the sports radio guy just went on to make the comment, it's funny how you can forget so many things that happen in life, and yet you can vividly remember one comment that someone said decades ago. And oftentimes that comment is a harsh or negative one. Now after that, the discussion quickly returned back to worthless sports talk radio. But from my perspective, that little side trail of a conversation was actually profound. Because it reminded me, our words stick. And in particular, words spoken in anger can often linger and cause destruction for years and years, maybe even decades and decades. And if I'm honest, that's a little sobering. Because I know there are some things I've said in anger that I wish I could take back. Listen, the tongue can be incredibly powerful in setting the direction for life, but it can also be incredibly destructive. It can tear others down. Or to use language from James 6, James 6, it can stain the whole body. Or verse 6, excuse me. It can stain the whole body. It can set on fire the entire course of life. Our tongue can be a source of great trouble. And one of the reasons why this is the case is because, as James puts it, our tongue can be set on fire by hell. Rather than using our words to be an agent of God's grace, we instead oftentimes speak as a representative of Satan. Rather than pointing others to the truth and hope of the gospel, rather than demonstrating the great mercy that we've received in Christ, we instead use our tongues to set the forest on fire. And no doubt we need to be wary of this reality. So this is observation number two, the tongue can be incredibly destructive. Observation number three, the tongue is difficult to control. Not surprisingly, James uses another illustration to communicate this point in verses 7 and 8. He says this, For every kind of beast, of bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of, deadless, or excuse me, full of deadly poison. So James makes this analogy here. He says we can tame all kinds of wild animals, and indeed we can. In the zoo we find elephants, rhinos, hippos, lions. We even put tigers into magic shows sometimes. But while we can tame these dangerous wild animals, the tongue, he says, is a restless evil and a deadly poison. It's impossible to tame in our own power. Which, by the way, is why I think James said what he did at the beginning of the passage. Let me go back to verse 1 here for a second. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. I think James warns about being a teacher because the more we speak, which is something inherent to what teachers do, the more likely we are to stumble and to say something that we shouldn't. James's point here is it's very difficult to control our tongues. We often go into discussions, I think most of us would say, we go into discussions planning to control our tongues, but then when someone says something harsh to us, we often return the favor and then the fire starts to get going. This is a reality I've certainly observed in our own marriage. If I say something rude or unkind to Tanya or vice versa, and she responds with kindness or gentleness, the dispute usually quickly dies. But if I say something unkind and she responds with something unkind, or again, vice versa, then the situation tends to escalate. Instead of talking about the issues, we start debating each other's character. Instead of using our words to build up, we start using our words to hurt. Instead of seeking recon reconciliation, we start trying to win arguments. 
It's a downward spiral. And the downward spiral is never good. Actually, recognizing that this is a legitimate danger, that we can go into that spiral, and being aware of how difficult it is to control our tongue, I would argue, is one of the keys to actually having victory. Because expecting difficulty can help us to prepare accordingly and prayerfully go into conversations. To give an example, if I go into a meeting knowing it's going to be hard, I can prepare myself accordingly and I can remind myself, okay, this is going to be difficult. I need to be more prayerful about this. I need to be more careful to be led by the Spirit. In the same way, if we can remember our tongues are going to be difficult to control, then we can be on guard against saying things that we'll later regret. We can be more prayerful that we'll use our words to bless and not tear down. Instead of using our words to escalate, we can use our words to de-escalate and to encourage other people. We need to be aware that controlling our tongue is difficult so that we can be more prayerful. Every person in this room needs to be willing to acknowledge, my tongue can be a problem. And therefore, when I go into conversations, I need to be more prayerful and more dependent upon the Spirit. So that's observation number three. Controlling the tongue is difficult. Observation number four, the tongue is a reflection of our heart. This is verses 9 to 12. Verse 9, with it, talking about the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In verses 9 to 12 here, James observes that we'll use our tongues to praise God and then we'll turn around with that same tongue and curse those who are made in the image of God. And through a series of illustrations, James points out how ridiculous this is, and at the end of the day, how double-minded it is. As James suggests, in the same way that a spring cannot pour forth both fresh and salt water at the same time, or a fig tree cannot produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs, or a salt pond yield fresh water, a pure heart should not produce impure speech. And in making that point, James is getting at one of the major themes of this book. As Christians, we should not be double-minded. To go back in James, we should not just hear the word, but we should do it. We should not just give lip service to those who are needing food or clothing. We should feed and clothe them. We should not just give intellectual assent to our belief in Jesus Christ, but we should live out our faith. And here in the context of James 3, 1 to 12, we should not just bless God with our words and acts of religiosity, but we should use our words to bless others also. There should be a consistency in our hearts that leads to consistency in our words. In Matthew 15, Jesus teaches that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And it's clear that James would agree with this sentiment wholeheartedly. If we have a pure heart that has been cleansed by the Holy Spirit, then we should have pure words also. To claim to have a pure heart that is desiring to follow Jesus, but then to pour forth un- impure and unkind speech would be like saying you're a fig tree, but then producing olives. It doesn't make any sense. A heart that is pure and wants to bless God will also want to bless others with our words. So that's the fourth observation here. The tongue is a reflection of the heart. So in summary, this is what we can say about what James teaches regarding the tongue in verses 1 to 12. First, the tongue is incredibly powerful, setting the direction for our lives. Secondly, the tongue can be incredibly destructive, setting the forest on fire. Third, the tongue is difficult to control, and thus we need to be more prayerful. And lastly, the tongue is a reflection of the heart. These are the things that we learn about the tongue in James 3, 1 to 12. But understand this, James is not teaching us these things so that we can simply know more facts about the tongue. 
as is clear by the whole tone of the book, he expects that we will put this into action. Put this into action. And so, let me just do this in our last few minutes together. Let me give you three challenges here in light of what we learned about the tongue in James 3, 1 to 12. Challenge number one, guard your tongue. Guard your tongue. Listen, if a tongue is a reflection of the heart, and if the tongue can set the direction for our lives, and if the tongue can be like a destructive forest fire, then I think it's pretty obvious. We need to guard our tongues. We need to be careful about the types of things that come out of our mouth. You can't just let things fly out of your mouth and then later say, well, I didn't really mean it. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus, and by the way, this is Jesus saying this, not me. Jesus warns that on the day of judgment, we will have to give an account for every careless word we speak. In light of that, I think it's fair to say our words kind of matter. So husbands, if you're using your words to belittle or demean your wife, Wives, if you're using your words to manipulate or control your husband. Parents, if you're using your words to intimidate or provoke your children to anger. Kids, if you're using your words to dishonor or disrespect your parents, repent because your words matter. We may let ourselves off the hook by saying things like, well, I wouldn't have had to say that if you didn't say that to me first. Or I didn't want to say that, but you didn't give me really a choice given your response. Or I know I shouldn't have said that, but you said worse. We may say things like that to make ourselves feel better. But I think we all know in light of what James is teaching here, those excuses don't really fly. Our words matter. So we need to guard our tongues and keep a close watch on them. And we need to repent when we've used our tongues wrongly. And by the way, just as a little bit of a side here, this applies to digital communication also. I'm always amazed when Christians go online and use, they use their tongues to set the social media forest ablaze as if the commands about the tongue don't apply to online conversations. Whether online or in person, our words matter. We need to guard our tongues. But secondly, we also need to utilize our tongues for good. Listen, I, I know the idea of taming the tongue can seem a little bit daunting. And frankly, a passage like this one can feel a little bit discouraging. Even James admits it's hard to control the tongue. But as challenging as this passage might be, I think there's a great encouragement in this passage also. Because while it's true that the tongue can be a source of great destruction, it's also true that the tongue can be a source of great blessing. We can use our tongues to build others up, encourage them, point them to Christ. And while it's true that harsh words can have a hugely negative effect on a person's life, it's also true that encouraging and Christ-honoring words can have a positive effect in the other direction. For example, one of the reasons I'm in ministry is because people use their words to encourage me that I have some gifts I should use for the kingdom. One of the reasons I don't despair is because my wife regularly uses her words to remind me of the hope that we have in Christ. One of the reasons I keep trying to parent our kids and point them to Christ, even though parenting is really hard, is because we've had friends over the years use their words, friends over the years use their words to encourage us, keep pressing on. And perhaps most importantly, one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because Mark Walter had the courage to open his mouth and use his tongue to share the good news of the gospel, that I was a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So listen, the tongue can set the forest on fire, it's true, but whatever the opposite of a forest fire is, I don't know if it's reforestation, whatever, the tongue can do that too. The tongue can bring great destruction, but it can also bring great blessing. And listen, here's our motivation. If God has been so kind to us in sending his son to die for our sins, which is what Jesus did, 
He willingly came to earth, laid down his life on the cross, took the punishment we deserve for our sin, and then he rose from the dead. And he will come again and rescue us from this fallen world. And he did all of this while we were still his enemies, to use the words of Romans 5. If this is the way God has treated us in Christ, shouldn't we want to use our words to show that type of kindness to the world around us? Shouldn't we want to use our words to point to him and to his kindness? We're motivated to use our words carefully and wisely because we want to reflect the character and kindness of our God. So listen, our tongue can be a weapon for great destruction, but it can also be a tool for great blessing. So let's utilize our tongues for good and to be a blessing to others. Now, by the way, sometimes that may mean that we still have hard conversations. But those hard conversations are out of love and out of the desire to help the other person see the beauty and glory of Christ. Challenge number three. We need to pay attention to our tongues and especially pay attention to what it reveals about our hearts. Listen, if the tongue reflects our heart, which Jesus says it does, and James obviously does too, then paying attention to our words is a way to monitor our own hearts and the status of where we are with our heart. To give an example from my own life, a few weeks back we drove to Florida for a family vacation. And as it turns out, and I know this will surprise you, driving to Florida takes a really long time. About 22 hours, depending upon traffic, give or take. And so on the way home, we made it our goal to get to Paducah, Kentucky for a pit stop, which is about 13 of 22 hours into the trip. But things didn't necessarily go how we planned. Traffic in Atlanta was terrible. And so we were way behind schedule, and it just was a really long day. What we thought would take us 13 hours took 14 or 14 and a half. And by the time we got to our hotel in Paducah, I'll just tell you, I was not in a good spot mentally. And then we started having family, I'll put this in quotations, discussions about where to get food with everyone offering their opinion. And as that happened, there's just something inside of me that just kind of broke. And I proceeded then to take my family to task for their selfishness, their ungratefulness, blah, 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 blah. And I did so in a way that was pretty unkind. In fact, it wasn't pretty unkind. It was unkind and it was harsh. I'll just tell you this. I don't plan to ever get inducted into the Dad Hall of Fame but if I ever got nominated, that moment would not be on my highlight tape, all right? It was ugly. It was ugly. Now, I could have excused that and said, well, it was just a long day traveling, and it was. And I could have excused it and said, well, there's some truth to my comments, because there was. But at the end of the day, I was not Christ-like. But here's the thing I want to communicate, and I think the thing that you need to understand, the problem in that moment was not my words. Now, my words were a problem, but the bigger problem was my heart, Because in that moment, I was selfish, I was ungrateful, and I wanted what I wanted. The things I was taking my kids to task for were the very things that I was displaying in my own heart. And most significantly, in that moment, I was forgetting the mercy that Christ had shown me. Instead of dripping with graciousness, which is how Christ has treated me, I instead was dripping with unkindness. And so the next morning, before we completed our last nine hours, we had to have a little family repentance time in the van. And by family repentance time, I mean me repenting in front of my kids and my wife and just acknowledging that not only did I say the wrong things, but more importantly, my heart was not right. It wasn't just that I said bad things, all right, or that I said things that were unkind. In fact, most of what I said, the problem wasn't what I said, it was just my tone, but the problem wasn't my words or my tone. The problem was that I had a heart it was not remembering the mercy I've received in Christ. Listen, our words matter because words themselves have value. But our words matter even more so because they reflect our hearts. 
So if you find yourself struggling with the sins of the tongue, hear this. The problem is not just your tongue. The problem is what's in here. And so whatever sin of the tongue you may struggle with, maybe it's words of anger, or maybe it's gossip, or flattery, or impurity, or slander, bitterness, pride, cutting sarcasm, coarse joking, cursing, taking the Lord's name in vain. My encouragement to you this morning is do not ignore those sins because those sins reflect your heart. So pay attention to your words because your words are a mirror to your heart. They serve as a dashboard warning you there's something wrong going inside here. So listen, I know as a whole the human tongue is pretty small and unimpressive, but it does have great power, doesn't it? And it reflects what's going on inside of us. So church, my encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Let's guard our tongues. Let's utilize our tongues for good. And let's pay attention to our tongues as they reflect what's going on inside here. And let's do so for the glory of God, for the good of those around us, and for the sake of our own hearts. Listen, the tongue is like a rudder, a rudder setting the direction that we're headed in. So let's make sure that we're headed in the right direction by guarding and utilizing our tongues for good. Let's pray. God, we confess, I confess, that I don't always use my tongue wisely. But in light of what we read here in James 3, it's pretty clear that guarding our tongues is an important thing. In fact, it's not just James 3. It's throughout the New Testament, specifically in the teaching of Jesus, that our hearts are reflected by what we say. And so, God, I pray that we would just take this passage seriously. I know that sometimes in the church we tend to really overplay certain sins, and we tend to downplay others. And, and some that we downplay the most are sins of the tongue. And yet, as we're reminded here in this passage, our tongue is a really big deal. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to guard our tongues. If there's areas where this morning we're being convicted of things that we've said that were not helpful then I pray that we would repent of those, that we would go find the person that we sinned against and ask for their forgiveness. God, if there's opportunities to bless, I pray that we would use our tongues this week to be a blessing to others. But I also pray that we would use our tongues as a barometer of sorts of our heart, that we would keep track of where we are by watching the types of things that come out of our mouth. And so if this week there are things that come out of our mouth that are ugly or unpleasant, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to see those things as a check on our heart and that we would repent and come back to you. And that we would remember there is grace to be found even for people who can't control their tongues sometimes. And that grace is found at the cross. And so we pray that above all, this passage reminds us of the great hope that we have in Jesus. That yes, we fail to control our tongues sometimes, but Jesus died for those sins too. And I pray that we would want to reflect his kindness towards us in the way that we speak. So help us to do all this this week for your glory, for our good, for the sake of our own hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. One last.